Hello and welcome to the Daily Claims Podcast, where we talk about life as an insurance adjuster from the perspective of property, auto, liability, and workers' compensation adjusters. My goal is to bring interesting topics in the world of claims adjusting to people who are working as an adjuster now and to people who are considering a career as a claims adjuster. Today, we venture into part two of our interview with Steve Fratari, a longtime adjuster who started in 1980 after becoming a community organizer. So imagine one of the cases that you handled for, for me back in, in the day, we'll call it. And imagine that your offer was responded to with a person who said, that is too low, you are lowballing me just to save the insurance company money. So what would your response I think, be? I think my response, I remember my response. I said, well, that's just, you know, that's your prerogative. If you want to, it's your right and your privilege to have a, a forum. <laughs> it's otherwise called a yeah. court of law. Right. Determine what your, the value of your case is. And if you want to do that, that's fine. Right. Either to, you know, I, I think I would um, respond differently on the basis of what my prior communications have been with that person or the attorney. You know, you get a feel for, you know, how, how to, you know, the voice inflections and so forth. And, sure. you know, if the, if the guy was real hard, you know, okay, I'm not going to say a lot here because you're going to, you know, up. One side, I mean, down the other if I, if I really aggravate him. But if he's been a, a reasonable person, then, you know, I, I think that prior scenario I just described is, is reasonable. You know, that's, that, that was my... No one really taught me that. I just picked up on it as I... How about you? I mean, do you, do you have any? So my, my approach is a little different because I try and use factual information to establish that, look, this is a decision based on information that I have. So we've gotten medical records and we've gotten wage statements and we've gotten all the facts that we need to figure out how this happened. And, you know, first of all, we don't believe that our insured is 100% liable. We think that you should have been wearing better shoes or you should have been looking where you were going or something. Or you shouldn't have had, you know, a case of beer before <laughs> before you went out. Those types of factors, I would use those to explain how we came up with that number. The trouble that you get into is the general damages part because it is so subjective. So, but what I would usually say is we settle claims like this on a regular basis. And from where I sit, this is where this claim is worth. Right. And if you believe differently, please explain to me why. So that, yeah, certainly that that's a good strategy as far as negotiating, and that's what I've done. Yeah. But if they come right out and say, "Well, this is a lowball offer," yeah. you still you still oh, go back to that same. I, Chances are, I would have explained all that stuff beforehand. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. But if they come back with this, you know, like this adversarial comment, you know. So that's the, but that's why you haven't heard the lowball accusation is because you do that beforehand. Right. You know, so you're laying the groundwork. Right, right, good, right, good, right. Very good. Right. So uh, that's excellent advice. Excellent advice. Now, a lot of times what will happen, though, is we'll get authority. And there are times where I've gotten authority that I felt was lowball. And they, and they and and they'll say negotiate it within this. I'm like, really, you know, and I I can't in good conscience go to them and say, you know, your broken ankle's worth fifteen hundred dollars. You know, it's just not gonna not gonna happen, right? Yeah. So there, in some cases, I'll have to have a conversation with the client, and and like I said, by then they should have all the inform the same information I do. But if we're not seeing eye to eye, there's not much you can do as the vendor. You know, yeah. this is so in that case, you just approach the claim and say, this is what my carrier believes this is worth. 
and uh, this is the offer. You're lowballing me. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so it, it's um, it, it's a tricky business to be in because when you have to have uncomfortable uncomfortable conversations on a regular basis, whether you're talking about negotiations with the claimant or coverage questions with a policyholder. And on the liability side, those coverage questions are, are not fun because the person on the other end of the line is sitting there saying, wait a minute, you're telling me that I'm going to be personally responsible to pay for this guy's injuries and if there's no coverage unfortunately yeah that's the, that's the case and but it's rare i shouldn't say never i mean we have coverage issues that arise from people or businesses that are acting in a way or conducting their business in a way that's outside of the scope of coverage or that there's an employee who gets injured or a lot of times it's a 1099 that they're making a claim and but they're actually treated like an employee they're more of an employee than a you know what i mean casual employee kind of a scenario those those are the biggest coverage issues that we have and then the additional insured issues i think those are pretty significant coverage issues but those are different because those are usually businesses and in most cases they have their own insurance coverage as well they're just looking for status on your policy so i remember along those lines of coverage i remember non-waiver agreements mm-hmm. and oh. uh, those, those could be tricky you know you're walking into this place and they, these people have no idea they don't know what the insurance policy is like they don't know what's coverage what's coverage you know coverage and liability always got it was always a, a uh, the distinction between the two and you have to educate the the policyholder on what that is and sometimes the claimant you have to okay. explain to them the difference as well the biggest misconception i get or the most regular one is that the claimant believes that they're they're making a claim against the insurance company so non-waiver agreements i have a whole set of conversations about non-waiver agreements with Chantel roberts and the reason that i have these conversations with her is because her her train of thought is that when there's a coverage problem, you send a reservation of rights letter. But in New York, on liability claims, that doesn't fly. And the reason it doesn't fly is because if you don't disclaim coverage within a certain time frame, it's not a specific time frame. But the, the courts generally want you to disclaim coverage as soon as possible. And if you're the type of adjuster that's going to send out a reservation of rights letter every 30 days and then disclaim coverage after six months, you're, you're going to be stopped from disclaiming coverage. Is there a court uh, case that addressed that very issue? There, there are many, yeah. I did podcast or blog posts, I don't remember, but there's one case that it was eight days was decided to be too long. Wow. Yeah. I always thought it was 30 days after your investigation is completed. Not in New York. Really? Yeah. You got to get it done. You got to get it done. So that's why I take the non-waiver on almost every claim, unless I'm super completely sure that it's covered. Right. You know, I, I just make a regular habit of taking them. And, and explaining what they are has become difficult to, or not has become, it's always been difficult to explain what they are. What I tell people is that the non-waiver, and I use one that's a mutual non-waiver. There are some out there that are just a one-sided non-waiver, meaning that uh, the insurance company does not waive any of their rights under the policy. It doesn't say anything about the policy holder. In a mutual one, you can explain that, look, this is a document that where both parties agree that neither party 
to this insurance contract are going to waive any of their rights based on this investigation. And I think that's a fairer way to pitch the form, but it's, it's, a, it's a fairer form to, to have a mutual non-waiver, meaning that you insured are also not waiving your rights under the policy. Right. And I, and that helps to kind of level the understanding a little bit about what that form actually does. Now, if you have a policyholder who has no prior experience in that sort of thing, so what are you talking about here? So it's it's a tough. It's, it's, it was always more of a challenge. It was a challenge. That was a real challenge of the job is explaining coverage right. and this non waiver. Speaking of non waivers, have there been court decisions that gives? better weight to a non-waiver versus a reservation of rights in your own bill? I don't know. I'm not, I'm not aware of any, but I do it as an extra layer of protection. And, um, and the other thing I tell people is that the real reason for that is to ensure that nothing that I say or do in the course of my investigation is going to change the coverage that you already have in place. So if I tell you something is covered or tell you it's not covered and I'm wrong, it doesn't matter what I say. This form says that we both agree that all the decisions are based on the original policy that you had. And this is what I tell people. I tell them that second part I just said about it doesn't change the policy. And I also tell them that it's a mutual non-waiver. And people accept that. And they should because it's the truth. So the non-waiver, as I recall, it says the investigation. So even if I make a statement and say, oh, yeah, don't worry about this is covered, um, the insurance company still has a right to say, yeah, never mind that. We'll, we're going to we're going to disclaim coverage. I, I don't think it's been tested, hmm. but that's how I explain what this form, the, what, what, the, what the nature of this form is. I think it would be a, a terrible mistake to say something is covered when it isn't. So I would caution any adjuster never to do that unless you are absolutely sure. Unless you're sitting down to draft the disclaimer letter. That is how I explain what a non-waiver is. So, and as far as court cases go, that would be a great topic to research because I would love to get my hands on some of those. And I will find those those cases I referred to with the time frames because there, I think there's one with two weeks in there. There's one uh, that's you know, thirty days is too long. Two weeks is too long. Eight days was too long. And it was pretty eye-opening. So I tell, that's why the, the reservation of rights is not really an option in, in New York. But I also, uh, then I get asked, well, what do you do? Well, sometimes we issue a, a conditional disclaimer. Well, what's that? So, well, that's a disclaimer that says that it's not covered and here's why. And then it says, but if you have information that would change our opinion to coverage, please let us know. Or that we're gonna, actually what it says is, we're, we're, we may continue our investigation but by continuing our investigation, it doesn't waive any of the rights that we have. So it has like a non-waiver language at the end of the... So it sounds a lot like a reservation of rights letter, but it's not because it is saying at the outset of that letter, this is not a covered claim. And here's and these are the reasons why it's not covered. Mm-hmm. And we're going to continue our investigation because it warrants it. And, and in some cases, they'll, they'll offer a gratuitous, gratuitous defense. I've seen that, certainly. So that's an option as well for a carrier that wants to main, maybe maintain control of the situation. Or there, there could be a lot of different reasons why you'd want to offer that gratuitous defense. I think in most cases, it's when you have an additional insured situation, you would want to offer that because 
then you know you're you're keeping control of the entire defense you don't have two defendants fighting against each other pointing fingers at each other harming the case you know along those lines if there is a dispute the insured could sue right sue the insurance company this is something I haven't really had much experience with, uh, maybe because I was an independent for so long and I was just working for a carrier for five years. Declaratory judgments. Mm-hmm. Now, the carrier, to my understanding, the carrier could ask for an opinion from a court, a DJ action. Right. And then they would rely. I'm not sure how that all works. Would they rely on that decision to um, determine the, the course of, of the claim. Have you had any much experience with uh, DJ, yeah. DJ action? Yep. So if we thought there was a violation of policy conditions or if that there was a, mis- a material misrepresentation or s- some coverage issue, we could take that to the court and have uh, a judge issue a declaratory judgment stating that our coverage opinion is correct and that there is no coverage for this loss. And it's that is, and I'm not sure of the complete, you know, legal process to get one done. You'd have to ask an attorney. But a suit is basically filed against the policyholder seeking a declaratory judgment. And, and then once that's issued, there's no coverage. So now if it gets turned down, then you, you do have to, if the judge won't approve a declaratory judgment, then you have to go through the lawsuit process and have an actual I believe you got to have like a, a jury here, a jury trial to determine coverage. But that gets into a whole lot of legal stuff. Then I'm not an attorney. So we don't want to play we'll attorney. Have to get an attorney on you. Yeah, that'd be good. So uh, a DJ uh, decision, could that be appealed? Do you ever see, see that? Oh, yeah. Oh, it gets appealed too. Okay. Mm-hmm. So a higher court, the appeals court would hear that, huh? Yeah. Court of Appeals. Yeah, you can look at all the all the uh, appellate court decisions online. Yeah. If you wanted to do a search, you could actually find some sure. that, that relate to that. And uh, I've I've done you know I've spent some time on their website looking at all these court cases. It's not for the faint of heart. <laughs> <laughs> like grab some coffee and don't get too comfortable because you'll fall asleep. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of. Um What's the term? Legalese. Legalese, yes. And it's hard to find, it's hard to parse through and find decisions that are actually relevant. You know, for a non-attorney to do that, it's it's kind of a challenge, I think. You know, better suited for a law clerk, you know. So, but it, it is interesting. And, and um, I would love to hear cases on non-waiver agreements. And maybe, maybe there are some out there. Let's see, let's do one more question here. Oh, how do you recommend that adjusters stay updated on industry trends and changes in laws related to bodily injury claims? Uh, Well, thinking back, I don't remember any such strategy that I ever followed. Oh, yes, you do. How so? How about the uh, claims associations? How about the New York State? Oh, okay. That's right. That's right, too. Yes. (laughs) I forgot about that. (laughs) (laughs) Right. CE. We don't actually have CE, do we? Continue education no, per no, se. No. But oh, those. Okay, right. So you had attorneys. I, I forgot all about that. Yeah, right. We had um, symposiums and, and, and um, lectures given by attorneys, and they would update us. Yes, absolutely. Sure. sure. That's how. That's how I found out. That's correct. Okay. And otherwise, cases I've handled where we had defense counsel commenting on 
on the issues of the case. Oh, this is a new development, okay. et cetera. So handling claims, Han- it, handling claims by itself much. educates you on up- yeah. updates and I, changes. I don't remember ever saying to myself, okay, let's see, I need to go on and see what the latest development is in, in the absence of an actual claim. Mm-hmm. I had a claim. Let's see what's going on with this. Yeah, let me see. Maybe there's some court decisions on it. Used to be a thing called the FCNS bulletins. Yeah. Do you remember that? Yep. I used to consult those. That just popped in my head. Yeah. yeah. Uh, fire casualty and surety. Yeah. Uh, those were great. I, I thought they're. Are they still around? I don't know. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Uh, we had a subscri- subscription at the last carrier I worked at, yeah. um, but PLRB is the one that most ISO carry ISO, you know, carriers will use. So for younger adjusters who uh, want to remain current or learn about these new trends, uh, what kind of networking groups would you recommend to them? Uh, Well, I was networking group. I'm pointing to my CPCU on the wall. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, CPCU. Well, I took, um, you know, I took the AIC, Associate in Claims. Right, but th- let's see. Do we have networking? No, we didn't have any networking. Uh, you know, other. Uh, well, I would say the, uh, the the state association I belong to, New York State Association of Independent Adjusters. I belong to that group. Yeah. Uh, did we have like a networking group per se? Well, no. in, in Buffalo, they have a huge, vibrant Buffalo Claims Association that has I Day every year. Right. Uh, Syracuse has a claims association. Utica does, and Albany does. And they all meet pretty regularly. And uh, my recommendation would be, as a new adjuster, is to get a membership with those, whatever is nearest to your city. Because they'll do, often, they'll do monthly seminars. Uh, the Buffalo Claims Association does uh, Education Day once a year. And that, that's a great learning opportunity for folks. Did you find that they it was claim-specific or was it, you know, I, I, I remember, went, I think I went to one or two of those and it wasn't really related to claims per se. I-Day or Education I-Day. Day? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, of course, I-Day. Well, yeah, I-Day. I-Day is um, geared more toward agents and they'll have, you know, CE classes for agents and brokers there. But Education Day was put on by the Buffalo Claims Association, and that was all claims. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's that was that's the case too with the state association I belong to. Yeah. But, so those those I, I would always tell younger, newer adjusters to find the claims association closest to you and become a member. Uh, and if it's not close to you, still become a member. You know, because if you got to drive an hour or two hours to to get to an event. Do it four times a year, you know, uh, and you're going to meet people that could potentially mentor you and provide you with opportunities that you might not know about otherwise. So and my involvement in the claims associations today is um, not very much, unfortunately, Uh, but it comes with the territory. It's so busy, Um, but they're great resources. And uh, most everybody I've met at these claims associations are great people. So. And then, uh, of course, the CPCU Society will have a chapter in each major city. I know there's one in Buffalo. There, I'm not sure if the Rochester one is still going, and I believe there's a Syracuse chapter as well. And those are great to learn uh, just about anything about insurance. And they have nice uh, networking events, too. Uh, you won't necessarily come in contact with all claims people, but um, you know, if you're looking for a job or a career change, or a job change within the claims industry, rubbing elbows with anybody that works for an insurance carrier is 
always a good idea. Sure. So, well, I think we've covered most of the questions I wanted to ask. Some of these are uh, have already been answered in the course of answering other questions. So that's great. Any parting thoughts? Parting thoughts. Well, I can say that I um, I, st- I stuck with this uh, I stuck with this career for you know forty years, going back to nineteen seventy nine and nineteen or twenty nineteen, and um, it was it was very rewarding. It's it's great. You're using your intellect, um, mm-hmm. especially with liability claims versus property. Not to, not to demean the property. Property adjusters are great, and there's a lot of hard work that they do. Mm-hmm. I, I would say liability work involves a little more um, intellectual work, which I I think um, I think makes it more stimulating, at least yeah. to me anyway. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was it was very it was a highly rewarding uh, uh, career. So it's a great job. It was. I tell people all the time it's a great job, yeah. but the, and they're like, but you're always so busy. Well, yeah, because it's a great job. Well, that's you know that's part. I thought about what it'd be like to go into sales. You know, and I think, well, you're selling the policy, but you're not getting into non-waiver agreements. <laughs> you're not getting into attorneys. You're not getting into monitoring trials. Is that something I did, which I did yeah. one. It was very interesting. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's really, it's great work, stimulating work. Um, you know, you're using your head, you're using critical thinking skills, you're using the empathy part, and uh, you're you know you're um, you're accomplishing a good a good deed you're you're helping people yeah that's the probably the box that would need to be checked the most when it comes to gen z is the fact that you are helping people because somebody gets hurt and they're out of work um there you know there's light at the end of the rainbow the pro- the claims process is long and it can be difficult it can be challenging for somebody who like i say is missing an income because of this but if there's liability and you have a legitimate injury the claim is going to be settled and um the journey to get to the settlement is sometimes long and frustrating but our job is to make sure it's done fairly, right? You know, absolutely. and at the end of the day, if if we can hand somebody a check and get them made whole again, then we've done a good job. And I also think the insurance as an industry is is a, is a great thing for society. And if we didn't have it, can you imagine what things would be like without insurance. I mean, just look at. Uh, and of the one of the other podcasts I did talked about COVID. That's that's a great example of what would happen if insurance didn't exist because the losses from COVID are not covered by insurance. And there's been lawsuits and stuff, and you know, most of those cases are in favor of the insurance companies. But um, meaning that there's no coverage for these business losses from COVID, and look what it did to the economy. So if you think that insurance is the bad guy here. Okay. Take a look at what happened during COVID, and you will you will take a different viewpoint of your insurance policy. So, I remember uh, you know keeping the paper files. The bottom the bottom document was the loss notice, the accord form, mm-hmm. and I used to keep notes and I had all my notes and all different correspondence in my paper file. And at the very top was a release, and I thought. Wow, this is great. This was a win-win situation for both the claimant and the insurance company. Yep. And I, you know, I mean, that's um, that's uh, something meaningful to me, and as far as my um, career as an adjuster. Yeah, it's it's like building. You build your file. It's loss notice is the foundation, and then you fill it up with all your investigation. You cap it off with a, a release, and you know you did your job. Absolutely. Yeah. Good stuff. 
All right. Thanks, Steve. All right. Well, thank you for having me. You bet. We'll wrap it up. Thanks for joining us again on the Daily Claims Podcast, where we talk about life as an insurance adjuster. Hit that subscribe button real quick and tell all of your adjuster friends to check this out as well. Join Chantel Roberts and Bill Auten on the Clubhouse app every other Tuesday, where we head up the art of adjusting and discuss all kinds of exciting insurance topics. For anyone interested in becoming a claims adjuster, you'll need to get on Facebook and search for the Adjuster Manuals Facebook group. There, you'll find helpful posts for anyone new to adjusting, including training opportunities and licensing coursework with a pass guarantee. For independent adjusting services, go to www.auten.claims. And for anyone interested in working as an independent liability adjuster, go to www.auten.claims FQS and scroll down to the Skills Assessment button to fill out your information, and we'll get back to you right away. 